Well, good morning, all you saints. Today's message is the communion of saints. What else? It's All Saints Day. By base text is from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. I'm going to take you back, uh, many of you, to a very familiar creed. It's the Apostles' Creed, and in it it says, I believe in the communion of saints. Now, because these words come near the end of the creed, we may tend to overlook them, but we should not because they teach us something very important about the Christian church. In studying for this sermon, I was interested to discover that the phrase, the communion of saints, was a late addition to the Apostles' Creed. It was added several centuries after the Holy Catholic or Universal Church. It is worth pondering exactly what this phrase was supposed to add that was not already covered. So what exactly does the communion of saints mean? Well, let me break it down for you, a little word study. The word communion translates the Greek word koinonia. That's a pretty common word in the New Testament that means fellowship or partnership or like what I like to say, two fellows on the same ship. It means we're going the same direction for the same reason. It means the share together in a close relationship. In secular Greek, it was used for a marriage or a business partnership, a community or a nation bound together by common goals. Preeminently, the word applies to friendship. Acts 2.42 uses this word to describe the intimate closeness of the early Christ followers who lived together, ate their meals together, and shared all things in common. Now, the word saint simply means holy one. Uh, In the New Testament, the word saint is a synonym for Christian or believer. Now, Paul used the word saint in several of his letters to describe ordinary believers. He wrote to the saints in Rome and Corinth and Ephesus and to the saints in Philippi. Now, to many of us, a saint refers to a a pretty extraordinary Christ follower, uh, one perhaps who's been canonized by the Church of Rome. But the New Testament never uses the word that way. It always applies to all believers. It is perfectly proper then to speak of St. Jane or St. Jeff or St. Martha or, yeah, even St. Barry. Well, if you know Jesus, you are a true saint of God. Now, to say that we believe in the communion of saints means that we believe that there exists an intimate connection between all true believers in Jesus. Now, we can perhaps say it this way. Everyone who belongs to Jesus belongs to me, and I belong to them. Now, I draw a pretty simple conclusion from this. Our our fellowship ought to be as wide as the whole body of Christ. Now, it's been my joy and my privilege over many years to see God expand my very own horizons in this area. And I've discovered much to my delight that God has his people scattered in some pretty unusual places. And I have learned that there are many different ways to worship God in spirit and in truth. I learned to do a little worship dance in Nigeria. Actually, I preached in a church that was dug out of the ground with a palm roof over it. I observed a Greek Orthodox liturgy in Russia. I clapped and cheered with some pretty enthusiastic Haitian believers. You see, God has continually pulled me out of my comfort zone to show me that his family is much bigger than I had ever imagined. Romans chapter 1, verse 16 is pretty helpful here. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now, the last little phrase here introduces the universal dimension of the gospel. I mean, the Jews were God's chosen people. And although many of the Jews have not yet become followers of Jesus, the gospel still has the power to save them if they will only believe.
The Greeks were the Gentiles, in other words, all non-Jews. It's no wonder Paul was not ashamed. I mean, the gospel has the power to save people without regard to the distinctions that divide us. It is the power to save without regard to race or education or age or income or skin color or family background or religious preference or, yeah, even moral degradation. The gospel has the power to build a bridge over the big divide of race and education and age and social status, family background, language, all this kind of stuff that divides us. When we are firm on the gospel, we can have joyful fellowship with God's people from many backgrounds. Well, let's start here, first of all, with this. We have communion with Christ. Now, we see this clearly in 1 John chapter 1, in the first four verses. These verses read, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Well, friends, everything we do is based on this truth. We have fellowship with God through his Son, Jesus. And it's only in Jesus that we have fellowship with one another. And if you skip this, or you minimize this, or you gloss over this, then, well, maybe where you gather is nothing more than a social club. I mean, what sets us apart from a country club is that we have fellowship with God. We are, as I've read this somewhere, a supernatural society of God's redeemed people. That's pretty heavy. You see, the church is a fellowship of men and women who have a personal relationship with Jesus, the Messiah. See, that's the whole point of the Lord's Supper. And we call it communion because it represents our fellowship with Jesus through his broken body and his shed blood. And we receive the, as we receive the elements, we enter into personal communion with our Lord and we share that communion with other believers in Christ. Well, second, we also have communion with the saints on earth. Let's go back to 1 John 1 for a moment. In verse 7, he adds an important dimension to what he's already said. He said, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Now, I'm going to focus on that that word one another. Uh, I think it refers both to God and to other believers. Walking in the light allows us to have fellowship with God and with other believers. Because God is light and we are children of the light. When we walk in that light, we are where God is and where his children are. We are no longer alone in this darkness of sin and rebellion. And I think once we understand this, once we get a hold of this, all of our relationships will be radically changed. Now, we may be sinners, and indeed we are, but we are sinners saved by God's grace. And you know, some of that changes the way we relate to our friends and relatives and everybody we come into contact with. Once we understand what God has done for us, we realize, you know, something is not about me because I'm not the center of the universe. It's all about reaching out to other people in Jesus' name. Well, third, we have communion with the saints in heaven. Hebrews 12, verse 1 speaks of this when it says we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. It also pictures the saints on earth in the arena while the saints in the heavenly grandstands cheer them on. So looking around, you'd see James and John, and over there you'd see Paul, and then you'd see Peter and John Mark not very far away. And as you continue looking, you you probably begin to see your loved ones who died in Jesus. They'd be saying, you can do it. Trust in Jesus. Keep believing they shout from heaven. 
When you feel like quitting, you can hear them call out, don't give up now, you're not that far from the finish line. Now, maybe you're wondering right now, can the saints in heaven really see us on earth? Well, I do not know the precise answer to that question, but Hebrews 12 verse 1 at least allows us to think of them as cheering us on. And that image is part of the communion of saints. I mean, death cannot separate us from the saints in heaven. At this point, it helps to remember that heaven is not as far away as we might think. Now, when I was a little kid growing up, I used to picture heaven as some land so far away that I'd probably need a rocket ship or something to get there. But in Hebrews 12, uh, verses 12 to 20, or 22 to 24, it offers a different picture. These verses tell us something amazing about what the gospel has done for us. Listen to these words. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Now, I don't know if you noticed there, but three times the writer uses this little phrase, you have come. Now, the precise Greek word literally means to come near. It's a compound word consisting of to come and near, or we might say face to face. It has the idea of coming into the presence of someone or something. Once we were far from God, but now in Jesus, we've come into God's very presence. Once we were far away, but now we live in the presence of angels. And now in Jesus, we've come into the presence of the spirits of righteous men made perfect, a clear reference to believers in heaven. I mean, just think what he's saying. He said, we're not that far from heaven. We're not that far from angels. We're not that far from our loved ones in heaven. We're just not that far from God. We're not that far from Jesus himself. Now, heaven is a real place. It is where Jesus is right now, and it's not far away from us. Between us and heaven, there's a veil called death. And to us, that veil seems rather dark and forbidding. But in Jesus, that veil has become really a portal to eternal reality. Perhaps we should think of all the eternal realities as simply being in a different dimension of reality. Not visible to us in this life, but near us and around us all the time. Like those angels who surrounded the armies of Israel that Elisha showed to his servant in Second Kings chapter 6. The angels were there all the time, but the servant could not see them until his eyes were opened. Now, if you're attending a worship service today, you might be singing a song called For All the Saints. It contains a verse that speaks to this truth. The verse says, And when the strife is fierce, the warfare long, steals on the ear the distant triumph song, and hearts are brave again, and hearts' arms are strong. Alleluia, alleluia. Well, what does this mean? Well, it means that death cannot destroy our fellowship with the saints of God. We are one with them, and they're one with us. Now, I don't mean that we can communicate with them. I mean, we're not talking here about ghosts or visions or dreams or anything like that. We mean that the saints of God are alive in heaven while we are alive on earth. And they're not that far from us. And one day we're going to be reunited to them at the final judgment, when that new heaven and the new earth is created. I mean, they're gone from our sight, but they're not gone from God. And they're not really gone from us either. As we praise God on an All Saints Day on earth, they join us in praising God in heaven. And this is that mystic, sweet communion the hymn writer had in mind. 
Now, theologians, and I don't want to get too theological here, but, you know, theologians sometimes speak of the church militant and the church triumphant. Well, let me put it very simply. We are the church militant because the battle rages on around us every day, and we're called to fight the good fight and to take up the whole armor of God. But you know something? One day we will lay our weapons down. Our battles will be over and the victory will be won. And in that happy day, we're going to join the church triumphant in heaven. But whether we are on earth today or in heaven tomorrow, we are still part of the church of Jesus, the Messiah. There's another verse of For All the Saints that brings out this truth. O blessed communion, fellowship divine, we feebly struggle, they in glory shine. All are one in thee, for all are thine. Alleluia, alleluia. Well, friends, those of you who are listening today, you know, when you have a Savior, you can face down your own death with courage and grace. But for some of you, I need to ask today, do you have a Savior? I mean, if you do not, if you're not really sure right now, I'd urge you to put your place your life in Jesus' hands right now. Run to the cross. Lay hold of Jesus. Trust him as Lord and Savior. Ask him to take away your sins and to give you new life. Let me tell you something. You come to Jesus and your life will never, ever be the same again. Well, until next time, see the vision, live the mission, and feel the passion. God bless, saints.